The journal was handed to me by a nurse who received it from a disheveled looking man who kept repeating the payment in full. Based on the description of the man, I'm pretty sure it's my husband. I don't know what happened to him, but I fear he's falling into a seriously bad scene. If anything in this journal sounds familiar, please, please let me know. I need to find him before he loses everything. 17th of November. 25 years. 25 years of my life I spent at that godforsaken job. I put in all the extra time and effort into that place, and today, of all days, they decide to fire me. <sighs> I'm far too old to be looking for a new career. What am I going to tell my wife about this? I can't tell her. I, I just need to figure something else out or get a new job or something before she notices. I know how I can do it. 19th of November. So much has changed since I last looked for a new job. All these websites for it now and all this technology these younger kids are using. What happened to the old days where you could walk around with a paper resume? When you could step into a building for a place you wanted to work and just talk to the boss. Hand him your papers and if he liked what he saw, he would just say something like, Let's give you a shot, son. And then you started on Monday. I always thought it would be easy to find jobs after college, even this long after. Search continues. 20th of November. I got it. Or at least an idea for something I can do until I find a real job. I need to have money coming in so my wife doesn't find out I got fired. She's always so damn supportive of me and... I'm scared of disappointing her with this, but I have an idea. When I was thinking about how I figured it would be easier to get a job after having gone to college, it got me thinking about college. I was a damn good poker player back in college, and there's a casino a few blocks from my house with poker games available. I wonder if I still got what it takes to win some money. At least enough to make up for my missing paychecks. 21st November. I did it. Last night, I won enough to cover my next two paychecks. At first, I thought my entire plan was going to backfire. My anxiety was through the roof as I entered the casino last night. I kept fighting with myself over this being a good idea or a terrible decision. I started by playing a few blackjack games to make myself feel more comfortable sitting at a car table in a casino. I won after three hands, but those first two losses nearly caused me to leave and call the whole idea off. I know I must do something while I wait for the callbacks from the applications I've sent in so far. I'll keep sending them in trying to find a real job, but I have to say, once I sat down at the poker table, it was a rush of the feeling I had back in college. I can't get risky with my playing, though. I need this to be profitable if it's going to work. Luckily, the patrons I was playing with didn't seem to know how to play very well and had very obvious tells, so I had some very easy games. I love you, Lydia. I promise I will make this all work out. 
tomorrow. I'll start going in during the day while I normally would be at work. 22nd of November. I walked into the casino early morning today. Walked directly over to the poker pit and found a seat at one of the tables that I thought looked promising. I know it's not good to judge people or judge a book by its cover or whatever the saying is, but with poker, it's kind of a necessity. I chose a table with only three other people sitting at it, all of which came across to me as people that were there more for the novelty of saying that they played at a casino, not because they were big professional players. An older lady was wearing what looked to be the same dark glasses you would see on someone that was blind. There was a man with a very expressive face that looked far too happy to be there, and finally sat another man. Last minute at the table was going to be my challenge. He wore dark sunglasses with almost a matte-looking finish to them and a stoic expression. He looked like he knew the game well and let me know that although this might be the easiest looking table, it was still going to be a challenge this time. It was a bit of a setback today. I won a hand or two throughout the few hours that I sat at the table, but ultimately I lost nearly half of what I made yesterday. I knew I had to start playing smarter because I was already trying to play it safe. Playing safe might be boring, but I wasn't there to make it big or rich. I was on a mission to make just enough to cover my old paychecks till I could find a new job. Having made enough to cover two checks the night before, and today losing half of that, I once again started worrying if I'd really had what it takes to make this plan work. Surprisingly, the player I had the most trouble with was the old lady. Mr. Too Many Expressions was just as I expected him to be, easy to read. The man I expected to be my biggest problem turned out to be easier to read than a children's book. The old lady, on the other hand, had seen some shit and knew exactly what she was doing. Underneath her jovial exterior was the skills of a seasoned poker player, for sure. Tomorrow I'll have to do better. I'll need to tap into that old me, that old day that I used to be in college. Ruthless and completely unable to read. 25th of November. I think I have a pretty good system down. Each day I make my way to the casino and play until I've won enough to cover how much I would have made that day at work. It might only be about $100 or so, but it's really all I need, and I don't want to get greedy for fear of falling into my own hubris. I know it's been a few days since I wrote something in this journal thing. I know my therapist says I need to keep consistent with it and that it'll help me keep track of my thoughts throughout the day. I decided to tell Lydia that I would stay home with her today. She said she hasn't been feeling all that well lately. I know I've been gone quite a bit lately, but I feel like she should have told me she didn't feel well before now. I understand her line of reasoning, though. She's always so helpful and supportive of everyone else. She feels like if she ever has any problems, she'll be a bother to everyone. I've told her many times to let me know any time she needs help, but her overly hospitable nature just won't allow it. She says that she just feels weak and has been having a few headaches, so luckily, I think it might just be a cold or something. It felt amazing for me to be able to sit down with Lydia all day and take care of her. That woman really is my whole world. It kills me to hide from her the fact that I lost my job, but I think her disappointment in me would kill me more. 
We did it on the couch all day long, watching movies and just spending time with each other. Something I feel has been far too long since the last time we did. She tried to hide that she wasn't feeling well, but having been married for 20 years now, I could tell what she was feeling. She'll get better in a day or two. Nothing some cold medicine can't handle. 27th of November. I've been falling into a steady groove lately at the casino. I come in early in the morning and play until I've won a couple hundred dollars and then leave. Nice, simple, safe. However, it's been a couple of days and Lydia still doesn't feel very well. She might even be getting worse. She scheduled a doctor's appointment for tomorrow, which I fully agree with. The only problem is that once I lost my job, we no longer have insurance, and she doesn't know that yet. We'll have to go a little harder at the casino to cover this doctor's visit. This might be working for now, but I really wish I could get a call back from one of those applications. 29th November. I'm having a rough time knowing what to do. I must admit, I'm in full panic mode right now, and I feel like my entire world is falling apart. We spent nearly the entire day yesterday at the doctor's office. Test after test was taken, and as the doctor walked into the room that last time, there was no holding back the flood of tears between Lydia and me. The look on his face told us everything we needed to know. It was far from just the cold or flu that I expected it to be. He told us that Lydia had cancer. We both spent the rest of the day at home together in our own versions of quiet shock. The doctors told us they wanted to start aggressive treatment very soon, so we had the best chance to get rid of it. I need to think of a new plan to pay for all these treatments, no matter how much you expect the worst, there is no measure for how much something like this truly changes your life. I'm going to spend the rest of the day sitting and most likely crying with Lydia. We must battle. We must win. She's everything to me, and I refuse to lose her to anything. 30th of November. I don't like the idea of having to play any more daring than I have been. The concern for me becoming addicted to gambling is very low, but to make the amount of money I will need to pay for Lydia's chemo treatments, I will have to start betting bigger and taking more risks. Even with knowing how much money I could be making, the thought of also being able to lose as much and setting myself behind was terrifying for my situation. I looked online today to get an estimate of how much each session was going to cost. I had to have some base idea of how much I would need to make before each chemotherapy session. The amount was much higher than I expected and seemed nearly insurmountable without insurance. I have no idea how I'm going to pull this off, short of living at the casino. I've heard recently at the casino about some upcoming tournaments or something like that. Maybe that will help take the pressure off if I can just win it. A terrifying thought just hit me so hard as I wrote this down. 
They say that people going through treatments like the one Lydia is going through completely drains the person afterward. They get very sick and weak after each session from what I hear. That means that I will need to be at home taking care of her after each visit, which in turn is going to allow me to spend less time at the casino. So I'll have even less time to make the money to pay for these treatments. That means I'm going to need to win big each time, which in turn means play bigger and riskier. Ultimately, I feel like I'm completely screwed. Lydia has her first treatment in three days. I need to make as much as I can before then and hopefully find out more about this upcoming tournament. 4th of December. Nearly the entire time Lydia was getting her first treatment, I was talking to Billing, explaining that we didn't have the insurance and that I would be paying for it all by myself. The lady from Billing was nice enough. She was a shorter, blonde woman that looked to be somewhere around her mid-thirties. In exchange for bringing each payment into each individual treatment session, she agreed to avoid saying anything to or around Lydia. At least nothing that might arouse suspicion as to the status of our insurance coverage. At first, she had no intention of cooperating. However, once I placed the cash for the first payment on the table, she gave in and agreed. It was so much worse than I expected when we finally arrived back home. She was nauseous and weak. She sat telling me through tear-filled eyes that she felt like she'd been hit by a truck. She sobbed into my shoulder, telling me how sore and exhausted she was. It was so hard for me to see that woman, the woman that I loved with all my heart, crying and in such excruciating pain, knowing that there was nothing I could do to truly make it better. It hurt me to think about it, but in the back of my mind sat the idea that I very urgently needed to get back to making money for the next treatment. Yes, I did have a little bit of time before the next one, however, when you're trying to make money by gambling, you need all the time you can, just in case something goes wrong. I had a very short amount of time, when put into perspective, to win thousands of dollars. I knew I needed more of a sure thing, something that would guarantee me at least a few payments worth. Playing against the novice players and drunks during the day worked well. I was always better than they were and always made some money. However, it was so slow building any significant amount of winnings against them. I needed a few big games. Although, bigger games means better players and better players means higher risks for me to lose. Somehow, I need to find a balance between those risks and the ability to play the game well enough to pay these hospital bills. I think that I'm going to go to the casino tonight and ask about that tournament. Knowing my luck, it'll turn out to be a tournament based on a game more focused on chance. Something like blackjack or craps that I have absolutely no interest in. Regardless, I'm going to do some digging tonight and see what I can find out. 5th of December. I walked into the casino just past 11 last night. I walked in to see crowded tables with drunk and excited patrons pouring from the tables into the slot machine area. I'd always hated the slot pit. 
Lights flash, bells and chimes, whistle and beep and chirp, the constant sound of the lever being pulled or the place bet buttons being slammed on. Constant roar of the drums and tumblers spinning, the sounds of people both winning big and losing it all simultaneously from opposite ends of the pit. I've always found that playing the machines using nothing but false hopes and dreams did nothing to satiate my need for a challenge and a proper game. Yet, beyond my own opinion of the pure luck nature of slot machines, the pit was filled with people hoping for that one magical pull that won them all the money they could dream of, never realizing that the odds were forever against them. I had to press myself between people as I made my way toward the card game area. Cheers and boos erupted from the various blackjack tables while the poker table corner remained relatively quiet. The casino seemed to be filled with much more serious players tonight, all in sunglasses, bringing their best poker faces to the table. I got distracted at first, watching the games trying to pick up on people's tells in the event I would ever play against them. Just after a significant win by a shorter Asian man wearing round mirrored red sunglasses, my memory sparked that my true mission was to find information on that rumor of a tournament. Didn't take me very long before I found a server walking past with a tray full of drinks. I stopped her and asked, Excuse me, miss, but I heard something the other night. Someone mentioned something about a tournament coming up. Do you have any information about that? Without even a breath of hesitation, she pulled a little half-page flyer out from the pouch around her waist and handed it to me. Once the paper was in my grasp, the server turned and walked away without speaking a single word. I wasn't sure how I felt about that. On one hand, it seemed rather rude, but on the other, I had no idea how rough her night may have been. I quickly brushed it off and looked at the flyer in my hands. Master Hand Poker Tournament, December 10th and 11th, $10,000 buy-in, first place, hundred grand. Second, seventy-five grand. Third, fifty grand. Fourth, twenty-five grand. Fifth, ten grand. I could feel my eyes widening reading this. Lydia's next round of treatment was the day following the tournament. This is exactly what I was needing. Winning first place put me in a position to cover the next few treatments, but to make the amount of risk even worth it, I would need to at least come in fourth. My confidence in my abilities wavered slightly as I glanced out at the tables filled with all walks of life playing poker at the tables. I realized that these people were not just gambling at a casino tonight, they were all practicing for the tournament. I quickly realized that I should have found out about this tournament much sooner. I was days behind in practicing than these other people. I should have been here betting low and studying tells and play styles of what would undoubtedly be my opponents in the tournament. I frantically looked around the room at the tables. My brain was screaming with dread as I looked for a table with an open chair. When I realized it, my heart sank in my chest. The people standing around the tables weren't people just watching the games, but instead were people waiting in a sort of line to sit and play. I looked at my watch, and seeing how late it was already, I knew that I wouldn't be able to stay and wait my turn. I was going to need to come back tomorrow, and hopefully show up early enough to get a table. 
Instead, I decided to stick around for a little longer and study the players at all the tables. As I looked out over the tables of the players, my eyes drew less interested in the players themselves, but instead at the other onlookers. In particular, a man standing at the back of the crowd. He wore a gray suit and dark black pointed goatee with a mustache that had been waxed and curled up. In truth, he looked like a very cliched James Bond villain, but he also looked very rich. However, Something about his hollow yet piercing eyes prevented me from looking away. He gazed out over the other players, staring as though he were looking for a specific person. He gave me the impression that he was some sort of scouter, like the ones that show up to a high school football game looking to recruit players for their college. With him, however, I couldn't shake the feeling that his intention seemed more nefarious. Next to him stood three almost identical large men in gray trench coats. They stood expressionless, not looking at the players at the crowd, but somewhere off into the distance. The only distinction I found between the three of them was that one had a cigar and one wore a dark gray fedora. Suddenly, the four of them simultaneously looked in my direction. More specifically, they looked directly at me. I quickly averted my eyes to the players of the pit. When I finally gathered the courage to look back at them, they were all gone. Almost to the point it looked like they'd never been there at all. I quickly scanned the room and couldn't see them coming toward me or moving anywhere for that matter. After that strange moment, I decided it would be best to make my way home. Sixth of December. I've always seemed to have a knack for reading my opponents. I drive to study people and behaviors. It's been very helpful in my life for various sales jobs, and at this particular moment in my life, very helpful when playing poker. However, for situations like the one I currently find myself in, the studying part of it feels like it takes entirely too much time. Overall, I feel like I did rather well. I made a decent amount of money and took a plethora of mental notes about various players and their tells and body language. The only problem with all that was that I had no way to tell if I were playing against other people that were entered into the tournament or just daily casino patrons. For all I know, I could have just spent three hours studying the wrong people and wasted my time. Before I went home for the night... I sat at the bar for a little while and continued to watch the players. A disheveled man sat next to me mumbling something into his glass. Most likely he was too intoxicated to be playing whatever game he was interested in and had lost a bunch of money. That, however, was only my best guess because I couldn't actually hear anything he was saying. I decided to order a drink and as soon as the bartender poured it, I walked away. The man reached out his hand and set it on my forearm. I couldn't help the shocked and offended look that presented itself on my face. Who am I? The man said with a rough, gravelly voice and a terrified look on his face. I can't remember. I lost it. I lost. Who am I? What's my name? 
how would I know? I responded, extremely confused. I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. He began to repeat as he removed his hand from my arm and returned to his nearly empty glass. I watched him, studied him for a moment. I tried to figure out what he was talking about and what had happened to him without asking him any questions, knowing that it would start another conversation or series of ramblings. Sadly, he began to ramble without me provoking him. This game, a game I found, I played it. It takes things from you. Things you can never get back no matter how hard you try. Don't lose or you'll forget it forever. You can never win your own back. Always someone else's. Someone that lost before. What are you talking about? What game? I have to go. I have to try and win it back. Win back who I am. Hey, what game? What are you saying? I asked again, beginning to get angry. The man never responded, but instead leaped from his chair and hurried off through the crowd and out of the casino. I couldn't help but sit there bewildered. My mind felt like it was going to catch fire with how hard it was trying to make sense of everything that strange man said. I finished my drink, and just before I got up, I noticed that the man had left a card sitting in his place. Not a complete card. It looked like it had been set on fire and put out after having burned away a good portion of it. Only a few numbers and a handful of embossed letters remained on the card, indicating that it had once been addressed to something. I thought little of it and threw the remainder of the card into my empty glass before standing and leaving. Something about that man was haunting me. I had a lot of questions about this game and what he was talking about. At the same time, though, part of me had an almost unspeakable level of apprehension. Like that feeling you get before stepping onto your roof. Something like a primal fear of falling. It was like that. The kind of feeling that grips your spine and doesn't let go. Ninth of December. With the tournament being tomorrow, my nerves are beginning to grind. I feel so unprepared for it. I should have been studying players and playing more games of significance to prepare myself weeks before now. Thoughts of doubt and just a general sense of what the hell am I doing here flooded my skull as I sat down at the table for what was going to be my final game before the tournament. It was getting late, and I already spent hours sitting at tables, playing hands, and filling my head with mental notes about people just in case I needed them. Filling my head with so much new information seemed to trigger the strange man's words from the other night. I can't remember. It replayed in my head in his rough and scared voice. table was rich. Some younger YouTube celebrity or something, I wasn't sure what he did to get his wealth. A mid-twenties lady that had a little skill, but from what I could tell, was just playing with daddy's money. A forty-something 
scruffy-looking guy that clearly hadn't slept in days. His demeanor seemed to tell me that he was trying to win back some money he owed someone. The patchy stubble covering his face mixed with the traces of white powder crusted around his nostrils and bloodshot eyes told me he wasn't going to be much of a threat. You can't play effectively when you're strung out and haven't slept. And then there was Charlie, or Charles, as I heard a few people refer to him. A white suit trimmed with gold buttons and a matching cowboy hat. He was significantly older, with a white goatee, and if I had to be honest, he looked almost exactly like Colonel Sanders if someone had put a cowboy hat on him. He looked like an old southern plantation owner and had the accent to match. The man was a complete donkey. Worst kind of player. No matter what he had in his hand, he would raise, try to bully people off the table every chance he got. Which worked quite well at getting rid of the other players, leaving just the two of us for most of the hands. I wasn't about to let Dusty Trail Colonel Sanders scare me off. The few times I'd seen him show his cards, he had absolutely nothing. I couldn't afford to keep playing marginal hands. I didn't have that luxury anymore. Now it had become somewhat personal to me. He was one of those people with more money than God who couldn't care less about a thousand dollars. I wanted to take him down more than anything, and the only way I was going to do that was to catch him out. My time finally came when I got dealt pocket rockets, two aces. I was the last to act, and as usual, Charles decided to bully the table. He bet big, a hundred bucks. I looked at the other players and knew my time had come. The girl folded almost immediately, with the YouTube guy taking a second to think about it before they too folded their hand, and I re-raised to two hundred. It was just me and him. He stared me down and started blathering as he had been nearly the entire game. I gave him nothing in return. I just sat there, not breaking eye contact as my mind screamed. He asked how much I had left behind me. I told him 1200 He played with his chips and with a shit-eating grin, pushed all in. He had me covered, and I couldn't contain myself. I pushed my chips in, and with my heart racing, I bet half my mortgage. I stood up and flipped my cards. He flipped his cards, and as usual, he had nothing. 2-7 offsuit, the worst poker hand. His bullying tactics had failed him against me. I remember my mind screaming at me as the cards were dealt, and again, when it was over... Charles sat staring at the table. We both knew money did not affect him, but the fact that he lost plastered a look of intense fury across his face. I took my chips and cashed them out. Another month of mortgage plus some spending money. I was doing well, but in my adrenaline-soaked state, I couldn't keep playing. Not tonight. Not after making an enemy out of Cowboy Colonel Sanders. I needed to go home and get some rest and spend some time with Lydia before the tournament tomorrow. 10th of December. Surgery. 
We went to a doctor's appointment this morning, and after only a few treatments of chemo, they wanted to skip ahead to surgery to try and remove as many of the tumors as they could find. It was going to be very expensive. And I did my best to appear like that didn't bother me. I didn't even know how they could switch their minds so quickly from chemo to surgery, but that's what the doctor said. I'm scared of the bill, but I'm terrified of what will happen to Lydia. That woman is my whole world, and without her, I don't know what I would do. Now, even more than before, I need to win this tournament. And with this news right before I must play, I can't guarantee how well my head will be in the game. But there's no turning back now. 11th of December. The players of the tournament were surprisingly easy for the first half. The skill and challenge came toward the end. Maybe I just got lucky with my hands, or maybe my ability to read people gave me a severe advantage. Either way, yesterday, the first day of the tournament, seemed easy to me. Today, on the other hand, was a rush of adrenaline and anxiety. Play after play, hand after hand, I did well. Tables have been consolidated down to five tables of five players. The winners of these tables would sit at the final table. I could feel it getting close, and I'd done so well so far. My heart pounded inside my chest as two of the players at our table busted out of the tournament, leaving me with one other decent player and my toughest opponent yet. He was well-experienced and a good player, but he was loud and cocky. He was very showy, and I'm sure it was a device he used to conceal whatever tells he had. I remained calm as best I could as the fourth card came out and I made my flush. With the ace-high flush, I was virtually unbeatable. I've been quiet the entire night, though. I couldn't make a big play or I would scare everyone off. I had to check. Thankfully, the loudmouth couldn't stop blinking as he gloated and constantly talked. I knew he was excited. He must have been on a flush draw. I had the nuts, though. The best possible hand. I just had to keep him happy, and he would send me to the final table. He raised, and to my absolute surprise, the man next to him that had been calm and seemed to be playing safe all night called an insane raise of $1,000. I put my head in my hands and mumbled audibly to myself. I didn't want the smile in my heart to show on my face. I acted frustrated and then slowly counted out $1,000 in chips. When the last card came out, I peeked at my cards, but only for a second. I knew I had the best hand, but still I checked. I knew the cocky loudmouth from across the room was going to raise. He probably had the second best flush, and that's hard not to fold. Sure enough, he pushed another thousand. The other man in the hand folded, and it came back to me. I found it odd that he raised so much and then folded so quickly. I finally looked at the sinister smile plastered on Loudmouth's face and pretended to check my hand. You're not that guy, buddy, 
he said laughing, a true sign of his absolute confidence in his hand. Maybe I'm not, I said, clacking my chips on the table. Are you going to call if I re-raise? I could see the greed in his eyes. I pushed everything I had. He called me without a second thought, just as I'd guessed. He had a king-high flush, but I had an ace-high flush. Why the fuck would you limp that whole hand with the nut flush? He said, standing, balling up his fist. I knew you would do my work for me, I said, scooping up my chips. I did it. I won at the table and was moving on to the final table, which meant I would at least be winning my buy-in money back. I smirked to myself and gathered the chips and prepared to move. Suddenly, he charged across the table and sucker-punched me in the eye before being grabbed by a pit boss. Out of pure reaction to being punched, I swung but didn't hit anything. Loudmouth was removed from the casino and... I could stay inside and keep my fifth place, but was refused the right to play at the final table. Instead, I sat in the audience, fuming with anger that Loudmouth had stopped me from getting a better position in the tournament. After watching the first couple of hands of the final game, I decided to retreat to the bar. Partially to get some ice from the bartender and partially to get a few drinks, hoping it would calm me down. As I sat watching the last table from the bar, someone in a voice barely above the roar of the casino spoke to me. Why is it that you play, son? I looked behind me to see, through my quickly swelling eye, an older man. Very expensive gray suit, peppered hair, waxed mustache, and a pointed goatee, and knowing but sly look on his face. Even though he was now wearing deep red circular sunglasses, I recognized him as the man in the crowd from the other night. He leaned in a little closer and repeated his question. Something about him felt off and comforting to me. He made me feel like we were long-lost friends and I couldn't help but be honest with him. Well, sir, my name's Dimitri, lad. You can call me as such. Oh, okay, well... Dimitri, my wife needs some very expensive treatments and surgeries. You see, she she has cancer, and I can't bear the thought of losing her, so I'm doing whatever I can to pay for it, I said as I felt tears well up in my eyes at the very thought. Well, my boy, I believe I know just the game for you. What? What do you mean? I'm... Really only good at poker, I asked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw that, he said with a sinister smile. It's precisely that. Poker, that is. However, the stakes might be unusual, but I promise that if you win, you'll have everything you need to take care of your beloved wife. Where is it? I said, looking around the room. Not here, he said, extending his right arm and presenting me with a card. It's in another location, somewhere that is a little off the beaten path, so to speak. It's invitation only. And that card in your hands is your invitation. When's the tournament? No tournament, but a series of games. 
very high stakes. With that final sentence, the man stood and walked off, disappearing into the crowd. Nothing about the man or the conversation felt good to me. Something about his demeanor made me feel like I turned my back to him. He would rip my soul from my body. Talking to him felt as though I were making a deal with the devil, and I can't describe the horror and anxiety that filled me as he spoke. I looked down at the card. It simply had an address written on it in a strange and foiled font. The letters glistened and reflected the overhead lights as I moved the card back and forth in my hand. Suddenly, my brain made a connection and I recognized that it was just like the burnt card that the disheveled man had left at the bar before. I tried my best to recall what the man had said that night because his words now seemed to be much more important than they had before. His warning of, if you lose, you lose it, rang in my ears. 12th of December It was a blank steel door in an alley, which was my first red flag telling me that I should probably turn around and walk away. The address on the card from the strange man led me to this dark alley in a mostly abandoned part of town. All around me were decrepit and crumpling warehouses and old abandoned stores. I was frustrated at the thought that this was all a prank or some sick joke. The man's words from last night, everything you need to save your wife, caused me to knock on the door. I stood for a few moments in silence and anger before I heard the latch on the other side move. The door swung open, revealing a very dimly lit flight of stairs leading into a short hallway. As I reached the far end of the hallway, I noticed it opened into a relatively large room. Two poker tables sat in the middle, and chairs and couches lined the wall. A small bar sat near the poker tables with a bartender behind it. Shells of the bar seemed to hold bottle after bottle of the same brand of whiskey, nothing more and no other options. A man looking very strung out sat at the bar repeating the same phrase over and over. I can't remember. I can't remember. At first I failed to recognize him, but again it was the man from the bar at the casino. His words of warning began echoing through my mind. Only one of the tables had players sitting at it, and oddly enough, seemed to be waiting for me to show up and fill the last seat before they began to play. The other players sat silently as I approached the table. Might I ask what the buy-in is? And is this some type of tournament with a big win? I don't mean to sound money-hungry, but I was told winning here could pay for my wife's surgery. The players remained silent, but the bartender spoke to my question. There is no tournament, but instead a series of games. Money is of no object here. You will play multiple games, you'll win some, you will lose some. Once the first hand of the first game is dealt, you cannot quit until all games are played. If you win more than you lose, your wife will be taken care of. If you lose more than you win, you will never be allowed back in. 
I stood next to the table for a moment just to feel how strange and eerie the situation around me felt. I needed to do whatever it took to get my wife's surgery paid for and have her taken care of, so regardless of how strange the rules were, I was going to play. Just before I began to sit down, having made my decision, the bartender spoke again. The rules are simple. The stakes are high. Each loss comes at a price, while each win will grant you a new experience. That statement seemed both obvious and strange. However, the way it was worded grated against my nerves. I began to sit down and simply nodded at my response when the bartender interrupted me for a third time. Do not sit. You have 24 hours to make your choice. Your first game, if you decide to play, starts this time tomorrow night. Now, you must go. I stared at the bartender, visibly confused. After a few seconds, everyone in the room looked away from me, or through me, as if I were a ghost floating through the ether. Even making a noise and shouting received no responses from anyone in the room. A few moments of being treated like I was invisible caused me to finally give up and walk out and head back home. Thirteenth of December. I bonked back through the door exactly on time. My nerves raised to insane levels, knowing I had no way of studying the other players mixed with knowing that the surgery was tomorrow. I sat down at the table, and before I could say a word, the bartender placed a drink in front of me. The only thing they offered, whiskey on the rocks. A monstrous cigar protruded from one of the other players' mouth as thick wisps of cigar smoke rose from the lit end into the air. The sight of the cigar made me realize that the three men were nearly identical. They were the same three men that I'd seen with Dimitri in the crowd. They still were only distinguishable by one with a hat and the other with a cigar. In front of me sat five white chips, same as the other three players at the table. Wait, I said before the dealer began handing out the cards. What are these, and where do I pay the buy-in? My questions were met with blank stares and stoic expressions by everyone at the table. Without answering my question, the dealer began to pass out the cards. I sat quietly and watched until the game was set, and the big blind began. I got a lousy hand, but being in the big blind, I had to protect it. The man with the cigar sat directly across from me. He called the blind, the other two folded, and the hand ran out. I lost, not making my hand, and the cigar man across from me won with an ace high. I remember noting this. A strange feeling washed over my mind as the game ended. It was like that feeling you get when you think you may have forgotten to turn the oven off. The man with the scar made no expression, no excitement over his win. He just simply closed his eyes as he slid a single white chip from my pile to his. I can't express the amount of confusion that filled me at how unusual this game was. 
Apparently, after the entire game and the loss, all I would lose is a single chip. A chip that I still hadn't been told the value of. For all I knew, that single chip could have meant that I lost my house, or that I lost a dollar. The bartender said the stakes were high, but never told me what they were. In fact, nobody told me anything about this game. The three other men at the table were nearly robotic. None of them spoke a single word the entire game. They made no expressions, no ticks, no towels, no emotion, which made them impossible to read, leaving the entire game simply to the chance of the draw of the cards and hopefully guessing. It was as if they were bound to the table, forced to play endless amounts of poker games for all eternity. They seemed like lifeless zombies, and it was completely unfathomable how truly uncomfortable the entire situation made me feel. However, I was there for a reason. I was on a mission, so I refused to let it bother me to the point of quitting. With very little time or hesitation between games, the dealer began to pass out cards again. After the first game, I gave up on speaking while playing. Every word I said was met with nothing but blank stares and silence, so I felt no point in continuing to try and communicate. I can play the silent poker game too, I thought. In this game, I finally got a playable hand and was able to win with only one other person in the hand. The win was against the man with the hat this time. Just like the cigar guy, the man with the hat gave no reaction to his loss. Pocket aces were always good poker odds. I needed more hands like that one if I wanted to pay my debt. He slid a chip toward me slowly. I reached out to take it from him. As soon as my fingers touched the pressed white plastic of the chip, a vision blasted through my mind. It was all I could see and all I could think of as it played in the theater of my brain. I was in a car that I didn't recognize, driving down an open road in the desert. It looked to be somewhere in Utah or Arizona, which is an area I've never been to. I looked to my right, and the passenger seat was a beautiful blonde woman. She looked at me and giggled. I didn't recognize her, but in the vision, I knew her to be my wife, Stephanie. My body didn't look the same or even close to how it did before. I looked in the rearview mirror, and although I knew it to be my own reflection, I did not recognize the face staring back at me. Suddenly the vision faded, and I found myself sitting back at the dim poker table. The soft white chip still rested beneath my fingertips. I shook and gasped for air, screaming for an explanation, only to receive the same stoic silence that seemed to be the default in this place. I reached for my glass and drowned my whiskey. Nearly the second I placed it back on the table, the bartender replaced it with a fresh pour. I looked at the bartender with tears beginning to well up in my eyes out of confusion and frustration. What the hell was that? The rules are simple. The stakes are high. You have three games remaining. With that, the bartender walked away, back behind his bar. Before I could say another word, the dealer began to deal out the cards again. 
a queen and a three of clubs were in my next hand. I felt good about this. I knew that it wasn't the best hand or even a great hand, but it was always a hand I'd been fond of. Somehow my hand held up, and like so many times before, it gave me another reason to like the queen and three combos. Again, I won. This time against the cigar man again. The man with the scar slid a chip toward me. I almost didn't want to touch the chip as it slid because of what happened last time. As I reached out and placed my fingers on the chip, my mind exploded with another rush of visions. Scenes from a life that wasn't mine. Memories of a world I'd never known. A young dark-haired child was swinging on a playset in front of me. Palm trees lined the edge of the backyard. A dark-haired woman laid sunbathing next to the pool. The child kept giggling and repeating, Push me higher, Daddy. Before the game, I'd never known these people and knew that I'd never been able to have children. After touching the chip, I suddenly knew them as if I'd always known them. It was my wife Janet and our daughter Kelsey. I looked down at myself and saw that once again, it was not how I remembered it, yet how I looked instantly became familiar to me. I saw my reflection in the water of the pool, looking back at me, from the reflection was the man from the bar. I'd somehow become him. Screaming, I seemed to come back to reality. Once again, sitting with my fingertips, touching the soft plastic of the white chip in front of me. My eyes darted to the bar to see that the man remained seated there, just how I remembered him. He still repeated his phrase, and the meaning behind those words began to click. Were these someone else's memories? Is that what you lose? Is that what you win? I nearly began to hyperventilate at my realization. What had they taken at my first loss? What was it that I no longer had any memory of? How was this even happening? Or, or possible? The man at the bar had been around for days. Is that what he meant by, if you lose, you lose it? I'd clearly just won one of his memories. He had lost in this game to a point he no longer remembered his family or where he lived. The dealer wasted no time in passing the cards out once again. Game four was about to start, regardless of my pending anxiety attack. I was dealt a pair of twos under the gun and decided to see it out. I knew I was beat when the first card came out, and I braced myself for what I was about to lose. A chill was running up my spine and my heart was in my throat. Tears welled in my eyes as the strange sensation of losing something washed over my mind. I began to cry as I passed the single white chip across the table toward the winner, this time the only guy without any form of prop or distinguishable accessory. I couldn't choose what I let go of or choose what to forget. When you lose it, it just takes whatever memories it wanted and there's nothing you can do about it. The worst part about it is that I had no idea which part of my life was being ripped away. It was just suddenly gone and I had no way of knowing. I tried my best to go over in my head as many details and facts about myself as I could remember, what my name was, why I was there, everything. 
Sadly, there wasn't much that was coming back to me, and I didn't get much time before the next game. Again, without hesitation, the dealer began to hand out cards. It was the final game, and I already had two wins and two losses. If I won this game, then I would have enough money. Enough money to pay back the hospital, right? Yeah, that's why I'm here. I must pay the hospital. I got dealt an ace and a king this time, offsuit, and decided to play it out. It's not the best hand in the world, but as my pulse pounded, I was quickly relieved by hitting my straight on the fourth card. Nothing like hitting your out on the turn, I guess. I knew it was amazing. It was a huge relief that I'd won, but I had very little emotion to show. My brain was too busy trying to pick up the pieces and figure out what I'd forgotten from my losses. As the cigar guy slid the final chip my way, I hesitated and refused to touch it at first. I didn't want new memories clouding my ability to gain back my old ones. I knew that it was of no use, though. The only way to get whatever was gone back would be to win it back in this godforsaken game. I need to go pay the hospital, I do remember that. Why I need to pay them, I, I seem to have forgotten. I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to keep playing until I can remember what it was again. I just don't remember. I can't remember. I, I can't remember. This journal was left at the hospital along with a very large sum of money early in the morning, the day of my surgery. The nurses read through it and discovered that the money was for my surgery and that the journal should go to me. I thought of transcribing it here in hopes that someone out there may have seen my husband and can tell him to come home. I'm truly terrified that something happened to him. So I sit here in tears just hoping that just one of you may have some information about him and if you see this, I love you Dave, please come home.